Episode 14 of the Guns and Yoga podcast. My name is Wendy Hummel. This week, we continue our first responder podcast series during the month of June. I'll be releasing podcast episodes in which I talk with fellow first responder podcasters. Before launching my own podcast this past February, after years of thinking about it, I followed several law enforcement and other first responder related podcasts for years. As a newbie, I didn't know what to expect when I reached out to veteran podcasters like James Gearing of Behind the Shield, who I spoke with in episode 12, and this week's guest, Garrett Tislaw. Not only is Garrett a host of a successful podcast, The Squad Room, in which he just celebrated his sixth year, he's an author, TEDx speaker, and a 16-year law enforcement veteran in an agency in Southern California. Garrett has worked in all areas of his agency, from patrol, gang investigations, internal affairs, community relations, and media relations. Garrett didn't necessarily plan a career in law enforcement, but tells us how he was called to it. At the time he applied at his agency, he had a successful career in the music industry, but knew that there was more. The Squad Room podcast was a byproduct of Garrett's background in the music industry and his own personal journey towards health. Garrett openly discusses in his podcast his struggles with sleep, poor nutrition, rotating shift, and how injuries impacted him physically, mentally, and emotionally. As he looked for ways to solve his own issues, he began to share what he learned with his colleagues and eventually widened his audience with the podcast. I really enjoyed speaking with Garrett. I love it when I get to talk with other cops who recognize how critical fitness, meditation, resilience, and mental health are in the world of policing today. If you enjoy this episode, please share it, give us a review, and if you'd like to be notified of future episodes and want to receive our future newsletter, you can subscribe on our Podbean website. Welcome to the show, Garrett. I really appreciate your time and willingness to be on the other side of the microphone today. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Well, um, first of all, before we get started, I really, I want to take time to thank you for your service, um, not just to the community that you work in. You've been in law enforcement for, I think it's 16 years, mm -hmm. um, but really to the larger scale law enforcement community. Um, you know, you've been doing your podcast for six years. Congratulations, by the way, on hitting that landmark. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you consistently push out content on the Squad Room podcast that um, supports cops and really, in my opinion, all first responders and military and their families. You talk about wellness, leadership, resilience, just all the things, work-life balance, relationships. And even though you and I have never met, uh, we're seeing each other here on this video that no one else will see, but I've been listening to your podcast for quite a while and you have personally, really, truth be told, you gave me the kick in the pants that inspired me to start my own podcast. Oh, that's <laughs> so awesome. Thank you for that. And that's um, great. But yeah, just thank you for everything that you do. Just, um, you know, personally for me, you've been a little bit of an inspiration and in, in all the stuff that you do. And, and I'm sure that you are um, appreciated at your agency as well. Wow. That I, um, can we just end the interview there? Because now I'm, like, <laughs> I'm just full of full of warmth and open heart and like holy cow what a nice what a nice intro thank you uh well you're welcome you know, it's true as much as uh as much as you know I, i'm so glad to hear that you get something out of the show i'm glad anytime uh, anytime anytime anyone tells me that they get something out of the show or they get some value out of the show 
uh, I got a great message this morning from someone who said, after 25 years of being a cop, the show makes him feel like he's not alone, like, or it's mm-hmm. not just me. I'm like, holy cow, like, those are all amazing things. Uh, but for every one of those, I, I feel the same thing back with uh, the listeners and the opportunity to talk to the people I talk to and and have those conversations to to explore some of these challenging things that we deal with. So I, uh, I got to be selfish, too, and admit that I get as much out of it. Uh, as everybody else, but what, what, what a kind introduction. Thank you. Oh, no, you're welcome. And it, it's, it's all true. I mean, I didn't do it just to butter you up. All of that's just kind of a, yeah, it works. <laughs> but, but it is true because, um, and I can tell it, it comes across when I hear you and I listen to your podcasts as to why you're doing it. And I don't think you're being, you know, I don't think it sounds wrong at all to say that you get something out of it because Anyone, and I'm sure you know this more than I do, anyone who you talk to in this in this arena or this space where they want to help first responders and support them in some way, everybody gets something out of it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. And I think, you know, when I started, like you said, six years ago, it was uh, my show, uh, one other show that I was able to find called The Crossover Show way back. Then. And then a show about social media and policing. That was really about it. Mm-hmm. So it's been awesome to see the the space, the category grow with everybody taking their own approach at it, their own ideas. And as I was looking at it, we're all kind of throwing our, our, our ideas into the ring to see what might help somebody. And it might be that one episode or that one conversation with someone you've never heard of that might just, you know, turn that light bulb on for someone to help them start that first step on their path towards whatever type of healing or goal setting they need. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and really like, you know, it, it could just be the timing too, the timing, the message, the way it's being said. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the whole reason why I wanted to start this is just because you never know the impact or the ripple effect that something that you say or one of your guests says, and we're never going to know that unless someone tells us, but, but that's really what it comes down to is just making a difference for the people that we serve alongside with. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I, I want to backtrack, um, and just ask you just from the beginning, you, uh, you, you've been in this profession for 16 years. And by reading your bio, this is not what you're intended or the career you started in was. So can you just maybe tell me a little bit about that, your experience with what your old career was, and then what made you transition into law enforcement? Sure. Yeah. So I grew up uh, in a very musical household, you know, where some, some young boys, teenage boys, dad expects them to go play baseball or football my dad's expectation was that i was in the choir or in in drama theater mm. uh, my dad has a, a has a doctoral degree in choral music you know so that kind of and he was a music teacher and my mom was a music teacher so music was very involved in my house from early on and so i grew up on the performing side of it uh but realized um uh, that that didn't appeal to me as much as as I got into rock and roll music or rock music, rock and roll, it makes me sound so old rock music. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed like the guys in the suits with the all, all access pass st- standing off off the side of the stage and thought, huh, who are those people? And learned more like, Oh, I want to go do that. So from like an early age, like 14 or 15, I was interning for record labels. I was trying to get my foot in the door uh, with my local uh, radio stations. 
I went to college basically based on how strong the radio signal was at the college radio station there so that I could potentially have the largest audience that I could possibly have because I thought maybe I wanted to be a, a DJ. Um, and then navigating my way through a couple record label jobs, moved to New York City after college, worked for a major label there, worked for Atlantic Records, which at the time was just blowing up. It was they were they had every major band that was on the radio in what with this ninety nine two thousand somewhere in there. And uh, I was starting my music career, and I had never occurred to me that anything was I was going to do anything else other than be in music on the business side of it. And got an offer to come to Los Angeles to help start a record label for a film studio, uh, moved to Los Angeles. Again, spent about five, six years developing this, this label with some great people and working with bands and being on tour and trying to find the next big thing. And then in 2005, I took a hard right, <laughs> as you might say, and walked away from it as I was about to make vice president uh, of, this, of this major company. Uh, walked away from it and started applying to law enforcement agencies and was, you know, was lucky enough eventually to, to find the right agency for me and get hired. And, you know, here I am 16 years later with the full, full commitment to, to law enforcement, which is, you know, yes, it's as exact opposite from the music industry as a, as it sounds like it would be. <laughs> yeah, it does. That's the, yeah, that is quite a, quite a pivot in career choices. And you're, mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, hearing that makes me think of, I'm kind of a quote geek. You'll just have to, to bear with me, but it reminds me of a quote. And I don't know if you're familiar with who Kelly McGonigal is or the upside of stress. And she has this quote in her Ted talk that I love. And it says, chasing meaning is better than avoiding discomfort. And that sounds exactly like what you did. You went for something, even though it wasn't maybe necessarily the easy choice, especially since you were just getting ready to, to get promoted in your career field, you went for what, what had meaning for you. So. I, yeah, that's exactly right. I, it was lacking what I, it was, it wasn't what I thought it would be in terms mm -hmm. of what it meant to me. It was cool to see music up close. It was cool to interact with creative musicians, but my purpose in it wasn't clear. You know, mm -hmm. and I, I mean, I distinctly remember a night where I was standing on the Sunset Strip out, you know, right there in Hollywood uh, and was at a club watching a band like I did pr pretty much five, six nights a week. And two LAPD cruisers, Code 3, you know, Lights and Sirens come flying by at what looked like 120 miles an hour through, you know, middle of traffic in Hollywood on a busy Friday or Saturday night. And I thought, you know, who does that? <laughs> like, that's insane. <laughs> like, I don't know what they're going to. Like, what are they going to? And I remember I'm, I'm, I'm with my buddies and we're, we're having a good night out. But I, I just got wrapped up in this idea of like, where are they going? What are they doing? What are they going towards? They probably don't know. And even if they have a, we all know now from like, you know, years on the job, like even if you think you know what you're going to, you're probably wrong. Right. But nonetheless, they're, they're going as fast as they can towards someone else's uh, worst moment. And I was like, who does that? And the more and more I thought about it and the more and more I looked into it and I started going to like citizens academies and stuff, I just, just got wrapped up in the idea of like, you know, there's a lot of meaning in that job and there's a lot of service in that job. And I think that's what was really lacking in my life to that point was, was some sort of service. Uh, because I think we all know now that 
you know, you, like we were saying, you get as much uh, out of service as, as, as whoever you're giving that service to. And so I just said this, I, I, I can't do that. That's not me. I don't have that in me. I don't have that strength in me. I, I can't go through an academy. I'm just this, you know, weakling music industry guy with, you know, bleach blonde hair and, and goofy shirts. Uh, but I eventually got to the point where I was like, I have to try. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have to at least try. And if I don't get in or they tell me you're not, you're not our type, like, okay, then I, then I can at least, you know, move on and know that I, that I, that I gave it a shot and find something of service and value and meaning to me. But luckily it, it's obviously worked out. Yeah, obviously. And, and I'm curious. So after you decided to leave the music industry and especially you're describing how you grew up, what did your family think? <laughs> Shocked. <laughs> Because uh, I have no family, I have a I have a cousin in law enforcement out in the Midwest, but like, you know, I would see him at family reunions mm-hmm. and whatnot. I never even talked to him about it. Otherwise, no law enforcement connections in my family whatsoever. And uh, it was, you know, my my dad was a bit. He's already a bit of an anti authoritarian kind of guy, mm-hmm. so for him, it was he was uh, he was very shocked. Uh, mom was of course very concerned. Uh, and I didn't have the courage to tell him for a long, for a long time as I was going through the process. Oh, wow. Uh, but eventually, uh, cause I also wasn't sure of myself, you know, I didn't know if I was going to actually commit, uh, to all this. Uh, but it just so happened that I was home visiting while I was in the closing stages of my background with the agency that eventually hired me. And, uh, I told him on the way to the airport. I was like, oh, by the way, <laughs> it's probably not the best way to, to drop something like that on them, you know? So, but they, they've been very supportive, uh, ever since they, they understand it. They've both been on ride alongs with me. My dad loves to come out, uh, whenever I'm working and they come visit, um, he'll ask me to actually like not take the night off when they come so that he can come along on a ride along. <laughs> um, so I think it's, it's been great cause it's really opened his eyes to, you know, what we deal with and. And the, and the talents it takes to be, to be good at the job, you know? So no, they, they, they've, they've been great. And, uh, I think in some ways we're happy to know that I wasn't, I was out of the volatility of the music industry, at least for job security, but I jumped right into the volatility of law enforcement yeah. for the safety issues. Well, and it took a lot of courage for you to do that. I have to say, I mean, going from something like that and not even feeling like you were prepared necessarily, but you just knew it was something that you had, you wanted to do. And obviously it's stuck because here you are, what, 16 years later, and you, you're still around. Yeah, it, it stuck. I I remember going to the academy and thinking, like, on the first day, I thought, well, this is it. I'm going to quit by the end of the day. I can't handle this. You know, mm-hmm. the, that whole idea of, like, because I went to a para, like, a, a very kind of old school paramilitary academy, lots of push-ups, lots of yelling, lots of screaming, mm-hmm. lots of marching. So that was a whole new world for me, right? Like, on, on Friday afternoon, I left my job. Uh, left, you know, cleaned up my nice office in Beverly Hills. And on Monday morning, I'm having some former uh, Marine Corps drill instructor yelling in my face and screaming at me with his campaign hat hitting me, you know, (laughs) in the chest, like, like, oh, I'm not going to make it. Uh, but I thought, you know, I'll get to the end of the day. And then I got to the end of the day. And then next day had the same thought, well, I'll get to lunch, you know, and then I got to lunch and that happened numerous times throughout the academy, even when I was uh, selected as class sergeant, which is sort of like called different things in different academies, but like the class leader. Mm-hmm. 
and got selected for that. And they're like, and I thought to myself, like, why are they picking me? They have all these military veterans and guys in high ranking positions within the military who are just coming out of Afghanistan and Iraq and they're picking me. Don't they know I'm going to quit next week? (laughs) (laughs) So I just, I just, uh, yeah, it was a struggle. It was a struggle for me, but I, you know, and I got hurt, but again, it's kind of what I talk about now, the process oriented goals and not looking at the big picture, but looking at what's the next right thing to do and just looked at the next right thing. And, you know, all of a sudden you raise your head and it's 16 years later. Wow. And I think it means a lot too, um, when we're selected by our peers for something like that, it just shows that they obviously saw something in in you that you may not have necessarily immediately noticed in yourself. You know, I've been thinking about that a lot recently, that just that idea, not specifically that event for me, but that idea that our peers or our friends or, or our coworkers recognize stuff in our, in us that, that we don't see in ourselves and how we need to be a bit more courageous about acknowledging that in everybody, you know, um, lots of partners, lots of uh, veteran officers, lots of, and, and even new officers are walking around with this, you know, terrifying feeling that they're not good enough to be here or that they're not living up to the standard or that they're the weak link. And, you know, if I think if we could all, one of my, one of my goals is, is if we can all open our compassion to each other, you know, we talk so much about compassion for the public and that's absolutely appropriate, but you know, what are we doing to, to really take a breath and acknowledge the work of the people to the left and right of us? Mm-hmm. You know, and to and to just stop and be okay with it. Like giving a compliment isn't weak, <laughs> you know. And there's so many, <clears throat> excuse me, old school agencies out there still that think uh, that you're just, you're doing your job. So that's why you get a paycheck and that's why you're here. And, you know, you sh- accolades aside, ac- that's stupid. You know, awards are stupid or compliments are stupid. Like, no, no, no. Those are the things that people come to work and give their work meaning, you know. We're in a spot right now where if we lose the meaning in the job, we're in trouble, you know, but yeah, so that, that's, a, that's a goal is to, is to help other officers acknowledge the gifts they're bringing to other people, you know, and that what you, what people see about you that you may not see about yourself. Yeah. Cause I think we all bring something different to the table too, and we're all unique in our own way. And I think we need to do a better job. Couldn't agree more about pointing that out for each other, because one thing, and I've talked about this before, I remember when I was in the academy 20, a, a while ago, I won't say 20 years ago. Years ago. <laughs> a, lot, a long time ago, I remember like this lieutenant coming in and, and pretty much giving us this story. He was involved in a shooting, but his message was the hardest part of this job isn't going to be the people you deal with or the calls you're dealing with. It's the people that you work with alongside of you. And I was like, nah, that's not true. Here I am, a rookie in the, you know, in the academy. And and today I'm still like, why do we do this to each other? Why are we our own worst enemies? And we really need to change that. So I, you and I are on the same page with that. And that's something I, I try to talk about as much as I can. Like, hey, we need to, you know, we need to lift each other up and support each other as much as we need to correct each other. And, a, and if something needs to be addressed when it comes to tactics or the way we work to call, that's one thing. But in general, we don't do a very good job. Yeah, we, we do. We emphasize fixing the the bad stuff, which, I mean, we obviously need to do and, and debriefing and, you know, supervisors. I've been a sergeant for eight years and 
we often get focused on the failures, which, and, and I fully understand the importance of that. Right. But, but we also need to acknowledge each officer's or deputy's wins. And those could be very, very small wins that they don't even see, you know, um, that, and that, and that goes all the way down to things like someone flags you down because they're lost in traffic and you give them directions. Like that's a win. Take that as a win, you know, and stack those wins up against what we all see as the losses every day. One of the other challenges you, you touched on it is we all think every other cop needs to be like us often, you know, or it needs to have our values or have our skill set. But this job is so demanding in such a wide spectrum that it's impossible for us all to be the same. So rather than expect us all to be sort of cookie cutter, we need to learn how to use people's talents and, and their tools and to make them successful in different roles. I mean, this is a job where you have everything from a traffic officer who needs to know traffic to a school resource officer who needs to be half coach, half cop, half, you know, uh, with, with young kids, all the way to the bigger spectrum of, you know, a SWAT guy. Uh, who's tactically proficient with all the weapons or, or an EOD tech or all the different jobs that we do that require proficiency. And no one of us can be proficient in all of them. It's impossible, right? Mm -hmm. So we need the SWAT guy and the SRO to understand that they both bring value and that, my, I mean, my, my perspective is, thank goodness they're there because I don't want either one of those. You know, I'm not good at either one of those, but I fill a different gap. And if we can acknowledge that, literally, this is a team, you know, if, if bad analogy, but a football team, not everybody plays quarterback, not everybody plays tight end. We all need to fill all of the spots to accomplish the goal. And we get so wrapped up in this idea that my dogma needs to be your dogma and your methods need to be, be the same as mine. And that's not really not true. Yep. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's great because you are. A, a supervisor and in the agency I work in the, the sergeants, obviously, I think it's probably the same for you is you have such direct contact with the line level officers. And I think being able to, to talk to them about that day in and day out is so impactful because I think sergeants have probably the most influence mm -hmm. over their people because oh, you see them every day. And so I think that's great that you're sending that message to your, to your people. Thank you. Yeah. The, the, Sorry to jump in. Uh, I'm just thinking of something like, you know, for actionable idea for sergeants to do this stuff with their people. Mm -hmm. We all have a briefing, right? We all, we all start our shift with a briefing of some sort. Some agencies, it's very structured and short because you got to get out. Others, it's more of a conversation and, you know, there's not really a time limit or whatever. But whatever you do, like you have a briefing, but at the end of your shift, have a debriefing. You know, mm -hmm. what did you all go through today? What did you experience? What are the calls you handled? You know, look at what you did for this old lady or this couple whose car got broken into or the school that got graffitied, you know, look at what you made that look at how you made them feel. Look what you accomplished. Look at the goal you, you did look at the criminal you got off the street and send people home with this idea that they accomplished something that day. And that's an easy, easy thing for sergeants to do to immediately uh, create a meaning for their people. Yeah, that's a really good suggestion. I'm glad you said that. Uh, it, you know, and it makes me think of something else, too. I mean, we as human beings, we're so geared towards seeing the negative, like our negativity bias and 
it's like we takes like five or six different good things to you know outweigh one bad and so i think it's so important that we remind each other of that too so just you just made me think of that as well yes yeah, cynicism is what we're taught in the academy right you're so be suspicious of everybody everybody's potentially going mm -hmm. to kill you and that builds up and it's reinforced in field training and it's reinforced by your partners on the officer safety issues mm -hmm. and that cynicism is what keeps us alive however that leaks very quickly it leaks into the other aspects of our life into our relationships and everything else and we become cynical about everything and then it ironically ends up killing us you know we end up with heart attacks and heart disease and cancers and suicide because we have let the cynicism win out uh, because we only see those things now and uh, and we yeah we got to start adding light to that conversation well, and now that you've brought that stuff up, you're kind of leading me where I wanted to go anyway, which was what, and there may not just be one thing, but uh, what made you get into just being interested in wellness? And I'm just using that term. It's very broad for, for yourself, for the people that you work with at your agency and just in general. And that actually obviously led you to your, your podcast. So how did that all start for you? I was struggling. Mm -hmm. like hard and I can, I couldn't put my finger on it necessarily. Like what was going on or what was I dealing with? I, you know, I, by this point I was a Sergeant had been for a couple of years and was just, I mean, now in hindsight was like, I was the quintessential, like all the bad things that everyone warns you about happening mm -hmm. about gaining weight bad nutrition on night shift, you know, running through the 7-Eleven or the McDonald's instead of meal prepping. Um, I was dealing with, you know, I noticed that on, because we would rotate shifts. When I would go to night shift for four months towards the end of that night shift, I was what I now understand to be straight depressed, you know, and really having a hard time navigating through night shift. And I had young kids at home and uh, was disconnected there. And but I didn't know any of that necessarily. I just knew something was off and like life was kind of a fog. And I was stationed at a state, a stationed at a substation of ours. That was a solid commute away. And I started listening to podcasts and seeking out some of these answers and trying to learn about some of these things. And I found a couple and that brought me to some books and I started bringing this stuff to briefing and I was known, or I am known, I think, for having probably the, the most eclectic kind of briefings that could be out there. Our structure is that, you know, your briefing, our, our, our squad times don't overlap at most stations. So when one shift comes on, technically, boom, our shift starts, and we may or may not have a briefing depending on how active it is. Uh, but most nights we'll get a briefing in. And... I would have, I would start bringing these things in and I would, I would have a briefing about sleep hygiene and meditation and things that I was trying at home. And that I thought were working. Um, I gave everybody Kevin Gilmartin's book, Dr. Kevin Gilmartin's book. And we went through that book with the squad I was on at the time and, um, talked about <clears throat> high intensity interval training, all these things, you know, and I were like, I was like struggling to lose weight, stuff like that, uh, flexibility. And so most if someone would come to my squad and they, you know, expect briefings on officer safety or things that happened that night or the night before or 
um, tactics and strategies or policy. And we would do those too, but they might end up in their first briefing with me talking about yoga, you know, or like, Hey, give this a shot. And, you know, I was putting my neck out there, but even the old salty guys who would roll their eyes at me, uh, in the briefing itself, so often two, three weeks later, they would come up to me and pull me aside in private and be like, Hey, I, I tried that. That really helped. Thank you. Or, uh, you know, what'd you say about, about meditation again? How do, how do I start that? Where do you, where should I get some instruction? So there was an obvious interest and I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not the only one who's dealing with this stuff. And, um, I was getting deeper into it. I was listening to podcasts. I have a his, that history in radio that I talked about. So the kind of podcasting appealed to me in general, and this idea that I could get interesting people on to help me solve my problem, uh, really kind of stuck in me for a long time. And I'm, and I thought, you know, I can read a book, but I'd so much rather talk to the author and ask specific questions, you know, like, how does it relate to me as a police officer or as a deputy sheriff? How does it relate to me as a father, as a husband, you know? And so I, I decided to give it a try and kept it super quiet for a long time because I was embarrassed about, you know, again, putting that stuff out there. And I didn't want people at work to, like, form their own beliefs about me. But lo and behold... It worked, you know, and these conversations have helped me. They've, they've helped my deputies and people at my department who've come up to me again and said, Hey, I listened to episode 96 and man, that was really helpful. That that got me through something or I tried meditation or I tried this or that. Um, so that's been great. And, you know, I've been able to expand that just from the squad of five to 10 deputies that I work with to people all over the world now with this. And it's, uh, it's, it's become a, a passion project for sure, because, you know, it's awesome to get that, that notice or that pat on the back from someone you work with that you're able to help them. But when you get an email from say Australia or New Zealand or Canada, you know, people you've never met have no connection to you, but they, they hear what you're talking about on the show. Talk about meaning. Wow. That, that brings a lot of meaning. Yeah, how cool is it that not only are you helping the people in your that you're with day in and day out, you're helping yourself, but you have this far-reaching um, impact across not just the country, but like you said, internationally. You've got people in Australia, so uh, I think podcasting and you doing that and thinking of that five, six years, well, six years ago was, you know, just really, you know, very forward-thinking of you. So I, I commend you for that. And thank you. And you stuck with it because I can say now that I've done this for a few months, um, when you work full time and you have a family, uh, it's not easy to, to put out a a podcast. It's a surprising amount of work. Yeah. Um, you know, even with some of the advances that have come out in the last two years, it's still, it's still, it's still a lot of work. There's, there are, I'm not gonna lie. There are definitely times where I thought the podcast was over and -hmm. it was done. And there, and there are times where I've had to take a three, four month break, you know, Um, and there were times where I had enough episodes recorded to kind of get me through that gap where I just kind of walked away from it, but episodes kept coming out and there were other times where nothing came out for four months, you know, and I find that I have needed those times and I have to, just like all of us still have to juggle all the other have to do's or should do's. Um, but it's, it's a weird hobby slash I don't know if you want to call it side hustle slash passion, you know, I don't golf. I don't watch football. 
uh, I read business books and I talk with interesting people on the internet. I guess that's my hobby. Yeah, you and I sound a lot alike, by the way. <laughs> uh, so when I, I kind of really quickly, I've listened to a lot of your episodes, but I haven't listened to them all. So before we ta started talking, I jotted down just a few of the ones that stuck out that were my favorites. Hmm. And I was going to ask you this question. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but well, well, let me go through this list for people who are listening, who hey, may not have listened to your podcast yet, but you talk, you have a sleep expert on, um, on the podcast early on. You talk a lot about, like you alluded to CrossFit, the physical aspect and link between wellness, mental, emotional, and physical wellness, the idea of being a tactical athlete. Uh, you talked to Dr. Joel Fay from uh, WCPR, which I'm very familiar with, heart health, financial health. You had Dave Grossman, Dr. Gil Martin, Richard Gerling. You talk about, um, you've got guests that talk about suicide, trauma, substance abuse, and and the list really goes on. Mm -hmm. um, you cover the gamut of all things that that I think are so relevant for, for first responders to hear. So do you have a favorite episode or mm -hmm. is it really hard to, is it, if, if, and I can ask that a different way too. Like, is there maybe if someone is just going to start listening, should they start at the beginning or is there one episode in particular you would refer them to? Mm, um, I can, I'll answer both questions, but, uh, okay. you know, cause I get asked what's my favorite episode sometimes. And I, okay. I guess the best answer is each episode is like your children. You love them all equally, but for different reasons, right? <laughs> so um, that's a good answer. <laughs> I, because my goal, even when I've had someone like um, Kirk Parsley on twice, who's the sleep expert, or mm -hmm. uh, um, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, who's a friend who's been on twice, like even if they're on a second time, I try to always have a slightly different conversation or a much different conversation with them. So I do feel like each story is its own. Uh, I was gonna say journey, but I don't think that's really, that's not the right word, but each one has something that I really get out of it, you mm -hmm. know, and in a different way. And so I, I could, we could go through all 140, whatever episodes, and I could tell you what I got out of that episode. Uh, so each one, I really get something out of. So I don't really have a favorite. Uh, the other answer to that question would probably be the one I just had, because I'm always like fired up about the conversation I just had and just, you know, kind of, I, I noticed that every time I, I hit stop on that record button, it's like I'd gone for a run. I had that runner's high mm -hmm. of, of just feeling great and feeling like, okay, there's, we're doing the work. People are doing the work. This, the person I talked to is out there doing their part, you know? So I, I love that part of it. And then, um, you know, for, for someone who's diving in the first episode, the very first episode, uh, is, an introduction to me <clears throat> and also my background a little bit more in depth, but also like what I'm dealing with at that time. And I've had a lot of people tell me that they just started episode one and worked their way through. And the goal, especially early on was I was going to document my journey and I was going to be the Guinea pig. And I was just going to be upfront and honest about everything so that I could try and find the best path forward. And my friend Trey Verbohm, uh, who's been on, 13 or 14 episodes was originally going to be my co-host and he's he's an amazing guy but he's sort of a mix between a crossfit coach and i hate the word life coach but life coach um <clears throat> just a guy my same age who's, who's very much a great friend and and uh but has a different perspective than me anyway 
we were going to kind of navigate this together, talk about things as they came up, try these different things. And I was going to report back about what worked or what didn't work for me. And that's how the show really went for quite a long time. And I still use that idea when I'm talking to guests or I use my own experience or, you know, if I've tried something or if I've tried the guests program or their product, I talk about if it worked or not. And, um, but I think probably episode one, which I cringe listen to now because, you know, you just six years of, of improvements, but the story behind that, I think is probably what people gravitate towards and they can understand where I was at, you know, and then it's not a straight line up from there. You know, it's, it's a peaks and valleys kind of a, a exploration as it is for everybody. Um, but yeah, I'd probably say start at episode one and just, just see if that connects with you. Yeah. I think what's neat is that, cause I've listened to your earlier episodes, you talk very openly and honestly about your own struggles and journeys and what you wanted to accomplish. And I mean, let's face it, cops can see through the BS. <laughs> and so if you're not open and honest about what you're going through, people are, you know, probably wouldn't be listening. And so I think that's why, um, your, what your message is so effective and resonates with people. Hmm. Well, that's, that's glad to hear. I'm glad to hear that because you're right. If I've learned repeatedly that on episodes where I have to really push myself to mm -hmm. be as honest as I know I need to be, or, um, you know, vulnerable for lack of a better term, uh, those are always, and this includes actually the emails I write to my email group. You know, if I'm, if I'm writing something that's really challenging for me to hit send on, that's a good sign that I'm in the right space. Mm -hmm. And as, as challenging as it often is to hit publish or hit send on those emails or episodes, it's always that those times when I'm the most open and honest that I get the most feedback back of someone saying, thank God, I, I thought I was the only person or I thought I was the only one, or I didn't know how to say it, but that's exactly what I'm feeling like. So that always, that always helps me make sure that I'm staying on the right path too. Yeah. I mean, if you're, I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause if you have that nervous kind of apprehensive feeling about something because it's something that's kind of scary. I mean, then, then sometimes that's just your way of your body's way of saying, okay, this, this is what you need to be doing. <laughs> Even mm -hmm. though it doesn't sound, seem like it in, in the moment. Well, you know, and, and too, like we're taught you're the command presence, right? Like yeah. don't, betray any emotion, don't betray any sense that you don't know what you're doing, handle business. And, and we, again, that leaks from trying to break up a fight and the command presence needed to break up a fight or handle a DV suspect that translates into how we interact with each other, translates into how we interact with our families and our kids. And I didn't know this at the time, right? This, this took me, it took me all this to, to figure this out. Uh, that we have to, we have to be able to drop that armor. You know, when you take that body armor off every day, you got to take off the armor that's around your heart too. And I know that that's going to sound weird to some people, but I think other people will get it that we armor ourselves up for the day, but we also have to make sure we de-armor at the end of the day. No, that's very well said. Very well said. Um, we need more people like you, I think, um, to talk about things like that, especially for the guys listening. I mean, I can say it and it, you know, there's like, ah, she's a girl. She's got 
emotions and feelings and, and things like that, which, you know, whatever. But I think it's important for more people to speak openly and honestly about that. Um, another person that comes to mind, he talks a lot about the heart-centered approach is Dan Willis. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He wrote Bulletproof Spirit. He he was on uh, a few episodes ago. So um, it it doesn't sound crazy to me. I think more people need to to hear that. You know, I did a video talking about vulnerable moments. I did a video for Instagram recently where I talked about, how, you know, right in the middle of the Chauvin trial, a verdict, mm -hmm. and then the other uh, shooting in Minneapolis and like how we need to, we really need to work hard to maintain an open heart. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really easy for us, especially in this environment right now where we're being attacked from all sides and it feels like there's no safe haven for us. It really is a challenge, even for me, to make sure that my my heart, I don't know how else to describe it, my, but my heart stays open to this idea that we are part of something bigger than ourselves, both our profession and our community. And we have to work at that. Otherwise we're gonna close down and we do a really good job as cops, closing down, putting on the armor, locking the doors, you know, securing ourselves in place. and. If we do that, we're going to end up with the suicides and the heart attacks and the cancers and the divorces and all the high-risk behavior that comes with it. Right. I mean, I would be preaching to the choir to tell you this, but yeah, I mean, even though that might be what we want to do, if we continue to do that over time, it's not going to serve us well. It's going to eventually come out in some way <clears throat> and it I may not be the way, the way we want it to. <laughs> I guarantee, I will, yeah, I guarantee to anybody listening that if you're dealing with something uh, you're, you're, well, I, I say this, you're dealing with it, whether you're dealing with it or not. You know, if, mm -hmm. if you're, if you're aware and cultivating awareness about the challenges that you're confronting, awesome. Good for you. It's a long journey, but it's worth it. Right. If you think you don't have problems, if you've been in this job for any amount of time and you don't think you have something in your work history or something in your past that is causing problems in some way in your life, you're not paying close enough attention. I, I really believe that. I, I think everybody has something. And, my, and for some people who have a high level of resilience, it may be very minor, but it's there. Or they have a high level of resilience, but then we get lackadaisical about it. You know, resilience is a, is a perishable skill, I think. Mm -hmm. And we all have to maintain our efforts to, you know, maintain our self-awareness and do self-evaluations constantly uh, to make sure that we're not letting something slide that, or, or mislabeling something that really is us processing stress or trauma poorly. Yeah. Great advice. And, and let me ask you this. So that's, what would you say to someone or maybe to your, your 16 year younger self or to somebody just starting out in the career field um, what would you suggest that they do from day one going into this career field to help train that resilience? Because like you said, resilience is a, is a perishable skill mm -hmm. so that they can get through this career and not just get through it and make it and survive it, but to thrive and to live healthfully, retire healthfully. What, I mean, I know that's a very layered question, but, but if you had a piece of advice or for somebody just starting out, what would, what yeah. would it be? You know, there's so many ways you could go at because there's so much. Let me start over. I, 
there's so many things that can happen to you in this career that if you wait for them to happen and then try to untangle it, whew, what a mess, you know, yeah. and it's a journey that's worth it, but it is a journey. Um, you know, the one thing I think that comes to mind for someone new, if someone were starting right now is have a, whatever you want to call it, but have a coach or have someone on the outside of the job that you know is going to be around. And if that person leaves for whatever reason, make sure there's a backup. That could be a friend. It could be like my friend Traver, for example. It could be a pastor. It could be a therapist. It could be, you know, a former high school coach of yours. Whatever it is, like, you know, have someone to give you some balance and maintain those relationships with people outside of work so that you you have someone who could speak honestly with you. That's That's probably the ideal, but that's also very challenging, right? There's a lot of challenges in building a relationship like that. Um, what I'm encouraged by is I see the younger generation is much more open to these ideas and much more accepting and assumes that their health and wellness in all forms, mental, physical, emotional, is more important than the job. And it is. You know, mm -hmm. we've, we've got this beaten into us that the, that the job comes first and we leave it all on the table for the job. But look where that's gotten us. Right. And this new generation is much more open to the ideas of meditation and yoga and, um, you know, therapy or those sorts of things that that they could use. The other thing I would say, this was a huge trip up for me, was the importance of, of physical movement and exercise. You know, it's so easy to let that go. You know, I, I got into the job, I got through FTO and then boom, my first kid was born. I was on night shift and, you know, stuff starts to slide. When I look back right at that moment, I can tell you that that's where stuff started to slide for me because I started to deprioritize a lot of things and like around physical fitness and taking care of myself. And my ideas became, you know, take care of the department. I'm new. I want to make sure that I'm, uh, I impress upon people that I'm, you know, worthy of being here, uh, take care of my young daughter, take care of my wife who just had a baby, you know, I'm on night shift. So this idea of taking care of yourself went out the window pretty quick because, you know, we're busy serving others and we got to, we have to make sure that we serve ourselves as well. Take your time for physical movement, take your time to journal or just work on your own stillness, you know, take your time for those things that give you value outside of the job, your hobbies, uh, keep those things and, and fight like hell for them. Because if they go away, um, then you're in trouble. And I think too, what happens because all of those things that you just mentioned, I've been there, done that. And my husband and I were both in our careers when we had our family and our you know, our crazy schedules. And it's really easy to let that go. I've been there myself. And I think one thing I wish I would have known when this, when I was going through that, that I try to impart upon others is you don't have to work out for an hour a day. You don't have to meditate for 30 minutes, maybe just do some small thing every day for yourself, just for you, small incremental change, you know, just implementing these habits and then build them on one another. Because it, I kind of equate it to like a new year's resolution. I don't know about you, but I've never been very successful in a new year's resolution. It may have, you know, worked good for a month or so, but, 
But so that's one thing that I try to tell people when they are in the thick of it, because it can be difficult to find those larger periods of time to do that. But I think if you just, you know, just grab a little bit of time and and do something just for you, that's going to help your resilience. I think that goes such a long way. So that's, you know, really good advice for somebody. You know, and and I want to jump into if I can. We often think that that coming home and grabbing a beer or grabbing a whiskey and going into the room by ourselves for 20 minutes is doing something for ourselves. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's not. Yes, it's a decompression and, and you might need that time, but there are, there, there are, and I do that. Like I'm not preaching because I, I, I still have a pattern of coming home, grabbing the beer, going out to the patio and kind of sitting by myself. Um, but I'm aware of it and I try to break it. Uh, more often these days. But um, yeah, when you say doing something for yourself, I think a lot of us are going to be like, well, yeah, I come home and I have a Jack and Coke and then, you know, <clears throat> I feel pretty good and I'm back with the family. Like, no, uh-uh. Let's do, do something that pushes you one step forward, you know, whether it's, like you said, 20 minutes of reading or movement or, um, you know, journaling or walking with the family or walking the dog or whatever it is, but something to off-gas that stress of the day. That helps, again, take that armor off. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. Cause that is what I meant. <laughs> and I'm, with I knew you that. Too. I, I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't have a drink now and then, but yeah, thank, thank you for clarifying that. Um, so just shifting gears a little bit, cause I want to make sure that, um, uh, people know how to find you. I'm sure, I'm sure if they're familiar with your podcast, they already know how to find you, but I went and did just a little exploration on your website. And I noticed that besides, you know, writing blogs and you've written some articles for police one and and some other law enforcement, um, websites, you also do speaking, you have other services that you offer. Can you share a little bit about that? If, if you're willing to, and tell people what they can, how else they can hear you. Sure. Um, you know, with all the COVID and everything, all of those grand, uh, plans, came to a screeching halt for a while. So we're just starting to come out of that. So I'm excited to, to get out there. Yeah. I mean, people can find my work at the squadroom.net. Um, I'm on social media at the squadroom. My Ted talk is on YouTube and you know, what I've found in doing the show for the last six years and having the 140 some hours of conversation with experts in these variety of fields is that regardless of where you are, whether you're you know, in South Carolina or Australia or Ontario or San Francisco, like we all have a shared experience that um, we're seeking to understand and put meaning to. And so, you know, coming into the next year, um, what my, my, my two passions are officer wellness and officer leadership. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be doing a lot more with frontline leaders and frontline supervisors and helping them navigate those challenging first couple of years of being a new supervisor. Uh, when I got promoted, I got a slap on the back and just was told, uh, take, just take care of your people and you'll be fine. Like, well, what does that mean? You know, so there's so much into that. There's so much goes into being a good uh, frontline leader. Uh, so we'll be doing a lot of that stuff. And then really diving deep with groups of officers on some of these issues that we're facing and and having more face-to-face events and engagements and um, uh, building, we've already built out, um, you know, a strong program that people are going to be able to join that 
works on kind of a cohort model where officers from around the world can get together and and we work on these things together you know and so very excited about some of the stuff that's coming up for us yeah and that that'll all be at the squadroom.net excellent um and you brought up your ted talk can you really briefly tell everyone um i know we can find it on youtube but can you just tell everybody what that's about because i did watch that recently and i really enjoyed it oh thanks yeah um so in 2018 january 2018 we had a massive what we, they called debris flow here in my area um and it's hard to describe it's not a, and it, i guess that's the right word although it sounds so formulaic but it wasn't a mudslide it wasn't a rock slide it was an everything slide basically the entire mountains came down on on montecito an area and killed 22 people mm. took out hundreds of homes left massive two-story boulder size holes in others and so the ted talk is my is about my experience working in the aftermath of that uh and what i learned working with the community we had an amazing thing happened where the community you know it's hard to describe to people without the photos but we're talking like shoulder uh, shoulder depth mud mm. down the street wow um people's houses covered in mud up to the second floor you know <clears throat> uh, yeah like i said boulders ripping off massive boulders ripped off half of houses you know the stuff like that we're that's what we're dealing with um and the community came out with some shovels and some buckets and they started digging and uh and so it's it's my story of of seeing that being annoyed with it at first but then understanding how important this this relationship between the first responders us right and who i call the second responders really is the, the people who step up in any day you know the, the everyday heroes that do their part and uh why and how people can be that in their community regardless of where they are well i will make sure to include that link in in this podcast so people can check it out and find it thank you yeah that was it was a fun it was a fun thing to do so you uh, we didn't really get to this i meant to ask you this in the beginning but as we wrap up um, i want people to understand that you've talked a lot about your current role as a sergeant supervisor but you've actually got quite a bit of experience in different areas with your agency. Um, and, you know, I talk about that in the intro, but um, if you don't mind maybe telling us what, what areas of your agency you've worked in and what has been your favorite mm. assignment. So like, like most, I started in patrol um, and then went to, uh, my agency was set up that after two years you go to court service, what we call court services, but either you're a you're a bailiff, uh, and I did that for a very short part of time before I got promoted to um, a community resource job where I worked with one of our contract cities and was sort of the community community oriented policing liaison. I did all the neighborhood watch programs. Uh, I did ABC enforcement, uh, and then I wasn't there long before they gave me gang enforcement too, mm. um, and so. I worked with our countywide gang team in that capacity for about three years. Uh, did a lot with city councils and elected officials and stuff like that. So it was weird. I was like half gang cop, half like political liaison. It was it was yeah, a cool that, job. 
That is kind of unique. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, budget cuts, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> they gave me both. But it was great because I always wanted to work on, on gangs. It was one of my interests and one of my uh, passion projects. So uh, from there, I decided after some time doing that, I wanted to go back to patrol um, and ended up being one of those. It was one of those squads where we all have like you're working with your best friends uh, and did that for some time uh, and then got promoted to sergeant. Uh, and stayed on patrol and I stayed on patrol as a sergeant for for quite a while um, and I, lucky thing about a sheriff's office you know I can I can move or, you can move around stations uh, and so you can try different things and it's like going to a new city basically sometimes uh, did that uh, then I took over our forensics department for a short period um, in the interim for all this I was also on our media relations team I would fill in as PIO uh, often, um, did a couple other, the little like subcommittee things. Uh, so then I, after forensics, I took over our professional standards unit as the supervisor, you know, better known as internal affairs. And that's where I've been for the past couple of years. So what job haven't you done with your agency? Wow. You've done, you've done a lot in 16 years. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny you say that because, you know, that, that inner critic is always like, you haven't done enough. Um, oh, yeah. So I have, and I, and I need to, you know, again, one of my things got to work on acknowledging that. Yes, you have, uh, narcs was narcotics was always a, 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 an interesting thing to me and always something I wanted to do early on. Um, now at 44, uh, you know, like the, the speed at which they work, that tempo, um, is probably not conducive to me. I know that now, you know, or at least it's not anymore. Maybe it was when I was in my late twenties. But narcotics was always of interest to me. The other one that I've always tried to get into, uh, and it's just so competitive, is an air unit. I love helicopters and I love flying. We have a very active air unit. And the whole time that I was, quote unquote, a slick sleeve, there were no openings. And of course, the minute I get promoted to sergeant, another guy moves on, another guy retires, and boom, all of a sudden there's openings. And as much persuading and PowerPoint presentations as I could do as to why they needed another sergeant in there, uh, it wasn't persuasive to my sheriff. And so it's just one of those, like, I'll, I have to wait for, you know, for them to either put a new sergeant in that spot or, you know, maybe lieutenant spot or something like that. I don't know. Those are really like the only ones that I feel like I wanted to do that, you know, maybe, maybe I missed, but it's, you know, another thing I know we're wrapping up, but something else maybe for people to understand is, so, you know, and I think this is what leads to a lot of angst and trauma for some cops is like, so much of your career is not in your control, you know, and we need to be okay with that. Like just what you go to on a daily basis, that's easy for people to understand, right? You don't know what kind of 911 calls are going to come out. You don't know what kind of crazy is going to kick off that day. So you can't control those things. And of course, that's, that's the impetus of anxiety for a lot of people mm -hmm. because we don't know what's going to happen and we're out of control. You know, we are not in a control position, but like you touched on, the stress of our coworkers is, is is far more impactful sometimes than the stress we feel on the streets. And we can't control who might get promoted ahead of us, or we can't control that, you know, someone did better on an interview than you did, and they got the position, and you didn't. And that that door closed to you for your career, and you took a different path. You know, as, we, as I said, there, from SRO to SWAT, there's so many positions that Every career is different. And 
your career may not work out how you envisioned it, but you're still bringing value and there's still value and meaning and purpose in what you're doing regardless. And, 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 and tap into that, you know, other people have the exact career they want and it just, that's just how it works. It's, it's, it's really bizarre, but we need to give ourselves some grace if our career is quote unquote, not what we wanted, you know, or not what we expected, but you can expect other things from yourself too. Well, and I think that goes with anything in life. I mean, we have to, we can only control what's kind of in our lane, you know, in our, I heard this recently at a peer support training, like what's in our donut hole. <laughs> I know that's a bad analogy because we're <laughs> cops, but, but anyway, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, right. I mean, I think we spend a lot of time concerning ourselves or worrying about what other people are doing or not doing and just trying. And, and I'm guilty of this too. It's, Sometimes I have to remind myself of this daily, um, but I've gotten better. Is like you just you just got to control what's in your what's in your donut hole or in your lane, and and really try hard not to concern yourself with the other things. Yeah, easier said than done, but absolutely, absolutely correct. Yes. Well, Garrett, thank you so much for your time. I could honestly, I could talk to you for another hour um, and maybe we can do that again. I don't know if I can convince you to come back on, but I really appreciate your time. And thank you really, really thank you for everything that you're doing for law enforcement and first responders. Um, it's been so great to talk to you and I really look forward to continuing to listen to your podcasts and, and follow you and follow you on social media because um, you put out a lot of good stuff on there too. So thank you very much. Thank you. I, and yes, I'd, I'd be happy to join you again. I enjoyed the conversation and, and the chance to explore some of these ideas. So, so thank you for, for what you do too. I think the more voices and the more angles we approach this at that, you know, we, we will all solve this together. Yes. I couldn't agree more. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Garrett. If you're interested in checking out his website or his podcast, go to the squadroom.net. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with someone who you think would enjoy it. Give us a review. And if you'd like to be notified of future episodes and want to receive our future newsletter, you can subscribe on our Podbean website. Oh,